Ideal conditions would be a coastal area with high winds or somewhere up in the Arctic where it's very difficult to get energy to that location. It's a high cost of energy and there's very inclement weather. Our turbines can survive pretty much any kind of weather and they're built to last for about 25 years. Welcome to Mindful Businesses presented by Sarani and I'm your host Padia Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today we have with us Robert Gerber from Ice Wind, leading the way on-site installed wind power. Welcome, Robert. Thank you, Vidya. Good morning to you. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Same here. When we talk about green energy, what comes to mind is solar, wind, nuclear, geothermal. So what are the key ingredients or characteristics of a renewable or green energy source? Sure. Well, I think uh, many of your listeners will know that renewable energy is really on the incline right now. Currently, renewables are the fastest growing source of electricity generation right now. Uh, and that that will be the case, at least, you know, in the foreseeable future. That's really attributable to the continuing decline in capital costs for solar and wind energy. And um, here in the United States, we get about, I would say, 11% of our energy from renewable sources. But it is the fastest growing source right now. And I feel that, you know, a few years ago, we were saying, if, if a company's not digital, then you'll be left behind. And I would say that today in 2020, if you are not sustainable, you'll be left behind. And there are several drivers of that. So what are the key ingredients or characteristics of how would you define something as green or renewable energy source? Sure, sure. Well, I would say it, it comes down to the impact on the planet. You know, what is the carbon footprint? How much CO2 is it producing? But you have to look through the really the whole life cycle of it from the production of that system all the way to the way it delivers energy. So it's not just one thing or another. It's really a holistic picture of what makes something sustainable. And there's different degrees of sustainability. Like certainly, you know, natural gas is slightly more sustainable than coal, but wind energy is one of the cleanest energy forms right now and is becoming you know, more and more affordable uh, for folks as well. What percent of energy in the United States is from green sources? Right. Right now, it's about 11%, but that number includes the energy that we use. You have to remember, we use energy to heat our homes, right? Mm -hmm. We use it to power our factories and our industry, but we also use it for transportation. So if you have transportation in that mix, then the number is quite low. It's about 11% renewable. If you take transportation out of that, it, the number grows somewhat. Just looking at it historically, that is much better than it's been for the, the last 20 years. The increases in renewable energy are significant and, as I said earlier, are growing faster than any others. But the United States is still a long ways away from some of our developed world competitors in terms of renewable energy. Europe, for example, has more uh, percentage of renewable energy than the United States. One of the one of the leaders in renewable energy is Iceland, a country I was lucky enough to live in for some time for over a year, and Iceland has almost 100% renewable energy. And that comes from hydroelectric and also from geothermal. The only fossil fuels they use in Iceland are to power boats 
cars and buses. And even there, they are going to more electrification in all those sectors. So I would say Iceland is a country that's sort of the high watermark for renewable energy. How has the pandemic affected the traditional sources of energy consumption? That, that's a great question. How has the pandemic affected it? Well, I would say generally speaking, look, the pandemic has caused a tremendous economic impact around the world, but unevenly in different different sectors have been impacted much worse than others. Obviously, retail and services have been affected. I will say, though, that um, experts have noted that the pandemic has also accelerated the progress of technological innovation. For example, just look at the um, number of people using Zoom now to do meetings. That has reduced the amount of commuting people have to do to go to their offices. And in many other ways, you've seen technology really accelerate during this pandemic. I can't say what it's done for the renewable energy industry, but I would say that there are many lessons that we're learning right now as we scramble to adapt uh, to this pandemic. But overall, airline travel has dropped, gasoline consumption has dropped, overall energy consumption has dropped, their prices have dropped. How will that affect people moving towards renewable sources of energy? Yeah, well, you just see the turmoil in the oil market that have occurred because of the reduction in travel. That That's for sure. And I think naturally that that will bring more focus to investing in renewable sectors. The prices of traditional sources of energy are in turmoil because of uh, reduced consumption, people traveling less. Airlines have dropped to about 36% of their peak. How will that affect the growth of the renewable industry? Because if gas is cheap, I don't really care about an alternative right now, right? Right. I see what you're saying. On the other hand, I would just look at the markets and you see how much you know, the prices of oil and, and investment in that sector have also declined. And I think at the same time, you've seen much more green energy funds emerge. Uh, people, I think, are understanding that you need a diverse source of energy and um, it's a good bet betting on renewable energy. One other thing that I b- believe that the pandemic has caused is an awareness of the need to localize production and localize our energy sources. Our supply chains have been disrupted significantly from COVID, whether you're bringing in oil or you're bringing in parts to build a machine. So I think companies are looking to source locally. And they're also looking, I think, at local sources of energy, what we call distributed energy solutions, which is an area that Icewind is working in. The distributed energy means having several nearby energy sources so that you're not you know, reliant on a faraway producer. Describe Icewind. What is your product? Sure. So Icewind is a technology company that began in Iceland, in Reykjavik, Iceland. And we produce very unique vertical axis wind turbines. Now, these are micro turbines. They're quite small, about 1.6 meters tall, and about about the size of a person, about five feet tall or so. They're used for specific applications. If you want a distributed energy solution, particularly in a one that has a very challenging climate, high winds, the high north in the Arctic, um, places where there's a lot of freezing and wind and rain. These turbines are designed to be uh, to withstand, to be extremely durable. Another problem they solve for is that they have a, a wide range of wind speeds that they can operate in. In fact, we've tested our turbines at hurricane category force four winds, and they also have a cut-in speed that's lower than other wind turbines. So it's a very specific product for a specific niche. 
The cool thing is about this product is that we're continuing to innovate it and we're actually developing what we call Turbine as a platform, meaning that you could connect it with a data collection device. Let's say you want meteorological data or other weather data that can be uh, paired to the wind turbine. So that's just a quick overview of our product. We're, again, the company started in Iceland, but now we're incorporated in the United States. We're beginning to manufacture in the U.S. for the North American market. So that's um, Icewind USA that I'm representing. You're a career diplomat and you've served as a diplomat in various foreign offices. How did you get connected with the folks at Iceland? Sure. It's a long uh, story, but I'll, I'll try to abbreviate it. Yes, I was a foreign service officer with the U.S. Department of State for about 20 years, and I had the opportunity to serve in some really interesting places. Port-au-Prince, Haiti, for example. I was in uh, for two years, and then I was in Kabul, Afghanistan. And in both of those places, I, you know, I noticed how important energy is to an economy. When I met with small businesses, small companies or entrepreneurs, their first concern was, how do I get electricity to my store, to my shop, to my bakery? And in a country like Haiti or Afghanistan, they don't take for granted the electricity that we have here in the United States. For them, it's a matter of, of survival. When I was in Kabul, the U.S. Agency for International Development has a really good program to try to bring electricity to the cities, uh, to the towns of, of Afghanistan through hydroelectric. But in the meantime, many, many facilities are run on diesel generators. The U.S. Embassy, where I lived for two years, is completely powered by diesel generators. Now, this diesel has to be trucked, right, through Pakistan, over the Khyber Pass, and then into Kabul. And then once it's being used, you get, you get this black dust that settles on everything. And I mean, I hope I've recovered from that over the years, but it's not a healthy way to live. And I just... And, and this is the way that so many people in developing countries live today. They have incredible amounts of pollution because of reliance on diesel. Anyway, that's a long way to say that I became very interested in energy and re renewable energy. And the capstone of my career with the Foreign Service was in Reykjavik, Iceland. And there, as I mentioned, the country is incredibly innovative when it comes to energy because they have abundant geothermal resources underground. And they've developed technology to bring that hot water out of the ground. They use it to heat homes and to drive turbines. And then the turbines create electricity. And from there, I got to know a few innovative companies. One of them was Icewind. When I left the Foreign Service, I, I knew that I wanted to go into technology and renewable energy. So I called Icewind, and fortunately, they were willing to bring me on board. And since then, I've been serving as their uh, government affairs consultant, doing business development and talking with podcasts like yours. And we are really happy to have you on our podcast. Thank you. So the application for Icewind, is it residential mm -hmm. or commercial? Can I just have it on my uh, the roof of my home? <laughs> well, yes. Yes, you can. Let me just say a, a quick thing about, about our design, and then I'll talk about the application of, of the Icewind turbines. So our designs are, are quite unique. Like I said, they're, they're vertical axis, more like operating more like a revolving door than a propeller. We have a twin blade inner and outer, and they're, they're multi-directional. And all of these things give them great efficiency. Now they are small, so they're used for small scale applications. Yes, you could put one on your house and it would help you reduce your electricity bills. It wouldn't power your entire house unless you have a cabin 
out in the woods and you want to be off the grid, you want full energy independence, it's a good application for that. We also make a model that you can bolt to the side of a cell phone tower. I'm not sure if you know this, but a lot of cell phone towers that are out in the remote areas are powered by diesel generators. We've calculated that there are some 400,000 cell phone towers around the world that are powered by diesel. We can bolt one of our turbines to a cell phone tower and create more redundancy for their backup power. And it can be paired with solar. We can pair with diesel just to reduce the ecological impact of these. So that's a second application. We have three or four turbines installed in Iceland right now, powering critical infrastructure. We're about to put one in a place called Stroimsnes, which is at the northern part of Iceland, nine miles south of the Arctic Circle, and it will be powering an autonomous emergency beacon. So this is a beacon, Vidya, for boats that are in that area, so they know where the coastline is. We also have one that is monitoring a geothermal pool of water there, and it helps open and close a valve on this pool of water. So we've found numerous applications for our turbines, and we really think the sky's the limit. And I'll be honest, the more people we talk to, the more ideas we get from them about how they could use a micro vertical axis wind turbine. So what is the output? Can wind energy be stored or energy from your wind turbine be stored? Yes, absolutely. We can pair our turbines with battery packs, battery systems, and store that energy for when the wind is a lower speed. That's quite important. And we've been talking with some battery companies in the UK and in the United States about developing a battery that pairs with our system to operate in the Arctic. So the rated power for our current unit, which is called the Freya, is uh, 160 watts. It goes up to a maximum power of 600 watts. Now we are developing a larger, more powerful unit that will start at 500 watts and go up to about 2000 watts. That's in testing and development right now. So in just layman's terms, so if I get the newer one, which goes up to 2000, mm -hmm. what all can I power? Yeah, well, that really depends on where you are, okay? Mm -hmm. um, it depends on the wind speed where you are located. I mean, it also depends on what other system you have that is paired with that turbine. Do you have solar panels on your roof? Are you on the grid? Those sort of things we would calculate and figure out what kind of use you would need, whether you would need one turbine or two or three. So I hate to give you the economist's answer, which is it depends, but it really depends on your location and what the wind speeds are. Our lowest low wind speed where we can start producing power is about 2.5 meters per second, which is a little bit over five miles per hour. Mm -hmm. So what would be the ideal conditions for your turbine to operate and be optimal? Yeah, ideal conditions would be a coastal area with high winds or somewhere up in the Arctic where it's very difficult to get energy to that location. It's a high cost of energy and there's very inclement weather. Our turbines can survive pretty much any kind of weather and they're built to last for about 25 years. But let me just give you an example of a project we're working on. We've been invited to participate in a program in Greenland that we're very excited about. There's a US government funded program to discover achievable and affordable pathways for sustainable energy in the Arctic. So we will be testing our turbines at three small communities. These are Inuit communities in Northern Greenland to demonstrate how they work. These deployments will collect data and figure out what the needs are. And we're excited at the opportunity. It will tell us a lot about the performance 
and the potential of wind energy for remote communities in the Arctic. And the device itself, it won't be noisy. It's just like a pinwheel spinning on your roof. That's right. There are noise issues for some of the larger turbines that we don't make, you know, the offshore ones. Some of those big wind turbines that you've seen offshore, they have a wingspan of over 100 meters. They do produce noise. Ours have gotten accolades for as quiet as they are. They're, they're very quiet, very low decibels, below 30 decibels they are. And we also like to brag that our units are bird friendly. Birds apparently see our turbines as one unit and they tend to avoid them. We haven't had any bird strikes with our units so far that we know of. We think that's an important thing as well. Mm -hmm. We also have received uh, praise for the design of our turbines. We wanted our design to be as to be aesthetically pleasing, especially if you're going to put it on a house or something. And so definitely check out our website and look at our design of our turbines and see what you think. I must agree. The design is very pleasing. It's almost like um, the Teletubbies. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that before. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I understand that your product is eco-friendly, but mm -hmm. you must have a carbon footprint when you manufacture. Mm -hmm. What is that? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's something we're actually working on right now. We're constantly innovating and trying to improve the unit. And one way we can do that is by making it more efficient. So if we can generate more power from the same unit, that reduces the overall carbon footprint. If we can make it more simplified and reduce the number of parts in it, that would also reduce the carbon footprint. And that's one of our objectives by bringing manufacturing to the United States. Right now, we're sourcing parts, and, and this is something that other companies can relate to. We're sourcing parts from several countries overseas, bringing them to you know Iceland or the US for assembly. If we can produce these locally in the United States, then we have less cost and less distance to ship these parts. We're also looking at 3D printing. Our components include aluminum, aircraft-grade aluminum, stainless steel, and carbon fiber. And we can use 3D printing as well to mix some of our parts. So having a low carbon footprint is something on our mind. But the neat thing is that the, the better we get on that front, the more efficient our turbine is and vice versa. So those two things are actually very complementary for us. The reason I asked that question is, I'm, I live in Indiana and we have so many windmills and mm -hmm. they have grown in number. It's quite, quite a spectacle to drive through the highway at night and see all the blinking <laughs> lights all around you for about almost a 20 mile stretch. Mm -hmm. But I always wondered, these are humongous because once I had an opportunity just to be inside the nose. Yeah of this wind turbine, it's the size of a good size bedroom. Wow. That's the nose. <laughs> it's pretty huge. It's probably like 10 by 12 or pretty huge. Mm -hmm. So I wondered what happens to these when we have to dispose of mm -hmm. these things, right? Yeah. So that's why I was asking what your impact yeah. is. And I'm glad that you are taking measures to reduce that and... Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I see what you mean. That is a problem. What do you do with the old parts after they're done? I mean, the way we try to solve that is we make a unit that's durable for 25 or even 30 years. So we have, you know, longer, longer product life helps reduce the footprint. But I, I take your point that we haven't quite figured out, we, meaning the general wind industry, hasn't quite figured out what to do with old broken turbines. And there are many models that, um, that have had problems with durability for sure. 
And the battery storage is so important. I mean, we all know Tesla is forging ahead with its battery mm -hmm. storage capacity, and that will be an important feature for how much we get out of these units too, right? Yeah, that's right. We're watching very closely innovations in the battery sector. We've seen some really amazing breakthroughs recently. People are looking at using graphene and also other ways to increase the efficiency of batteries, even to take a battery and make it into the outer hull of a boat or the frame of an automobile so that you can reduce the weight of that battery. These are some amazing breakthroughs that are, that are happening right now as we speak. And then for us as a wind turbine company, we're really on top of those technologies because you know we're partnering with some of these companies, even looking at doing joint research for mutual benefit. And we think that's the way to go. So we can pre-order these wind turbines right now. How much does it cost? Yes, you can pre-order them now. We're expecting to do delivery in the first few months of 2021. Uh, the units vary in cost according to what kind of mounting bracket we'll have to assemble um, because there, uh, there's different applications for the turbine. But uh, the short answer is the turbines cost somewhere between $4,000 and $5,500 US, so between four and 5000 US currently. That's our price that we have on this model. That could change in the future depending on innovations and etc. How long will it take me to recoup that? What would be my break-even point if I switch from, you know, the current source of energy that I have to yours? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, it, and, and I'm going to go to the answer that it really depends on what your current cost of energy is where you live. If you're getting a low cost per kilowatt of energy, then frankly, it will take you a long time to pay off the ice wind turbine over time. However, if you are in an Arctic or coastal or remote region or an island somewhere where the cost of energy is very high, then this will make much more economical sense for you. Now, some of our customers are purchasing this unit because they want to be early adopters. You know, these are the people that bought the first Tesla Model S and they're excited about the technology. They want to show it off. They don't expect to be able to amortize it, you know, over five years. It, it may take them 20 years, but, you know, they want to be an early adopter and show, um, you know, they're, that they're eco-friendly. But it, it certainly can reduce your electricity bills. That's the answer about, you know, how long it would cost to pay for the unit. How easy is it to install or do you need a specially trained person to come in and install these? Yeah, they're actually very easy to install. It's been described like IKEA furniture. I should say they're much more durable than IKEA furniture. Um, however, you do need a, a licensed electrician to connect it. That can get uh, you know a little bit complicated. You need an expert that knows how to do things like you know connecting it to the grid and or connecting it to your solar. AC, DC needs, auxiliary components. So basically, they're easy to install, but you do need a, a qualified electrician to install it. Coming back to US's position on renewable mm -hmm. sources of energy, there is this renewable country attractiveness index. Where does US rank in 2020? Well, I haven't seen that index. I would love to, to look at it because that would be very indicative. I mean, I think that, you know, I'm very bullish on the U.S. renewable energy market. Mm -hmm. uh, the United States is the place where lots of innovation is happening. In fact, in the global green tech market, U.S. companies are doing very well and their products are in demand overseas. So I see a lot of potential there. Mm -hmm. I think this will only grow with the incoming Biden-Harris administration. Mm -hmm. They've committed to, I think, $400 billion in R&D. 
for renewable energy. And that's a good sign. And I mean, I think that, you know, in the US, you're always going to have a mix of energy sources. It would be foolish to, I think, only, only rely on one particular energy source. You're going to have a mix where renewable energy is growing. And I believe that gives us strong economic benefits as well as benefits for the environment. If I could just mention three things that I believe will be driving renewable energy in the United States. The first is the role of consumers. I think customers and citizens are getting smart and educated about renewable energy. They no longer think of it as something odd or fringy or even expensive, and they're very interested in it. And I think they're going to push companies. I think the number two thing is the role of capital. As I mentioned, the Biden administration with their incoming plan for R&D, but also the private sector, the amount of financing for green tech is enormous out there. There are new funds being created every day. And where you have private money, that will drive innovation. And I think taking a third role really in this is the government, is government policies. That yes, they're going to be important, but these other two drivers will be equally, equally important to government policy. And I think you see companies nowadays, they, they see the future and they're pivoting. Walmart, Unilever, Amazon, and other large multinationals have committed to sort of zero carbon footprint, zero emissions by 2035 or 2050, depending on the, on the company. So for those reasons, I'm very uh, optimistic about the growth of renewable energy in the U.S. Yes, it is a positive note that President Joe Biden has promised to join the Paris Climate Accord. We are all hopeful that this will bring about more resources for companies. And in terms of money, like you mentioned, and even maybe legislations to help the growth of renewable energy. Yes, I, I agree. So what is your sales model? You just sell to individuals? Because I keep getting these offers for solar panels uh-huh. from my energy company, which says, hey, if you, you and 20 other neighbors, you know, you sign up, mm-hmm. you pay X amount of dollars based on the roof and the mm-hmm. way which direction your roof faces, and we are going to give you a bulk rate. Do you have any such model or yeah. do you just do one-on-one? Well, it's very interesting. I mean, we're learning about how our turbines can be applied, what applications there are. We're learning about that from potential customers. And we've been lucky that customers have been contacting us from around the world. I've been speaking with a person in Australia who is looking at installing one of our turbines on a science museum so that the students can learn about wind energy and also to power a nature center there. We uh, have received inquiries from Poland, from Canada, from uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, from around the world, from different customers looking to install turbines. So there's a lot of uses for them. And we've frankly just received a lot of positive feedback. I've been trying to follow up on all of these the best I can. Um, But at the same time, what we're doing is we're, we're partnering with other companies that are in technology. For example, We're speaking with a manufacturer of boats who's looking to do uh, eco-friendly boats that are powered by electricity. And we're looking at installing our turbines on those marine vessels, which would be tremendous. It would open up, you know, a line of business for us in the marine industry, which I think would be really exciting. So the opportunities are coming in from many different places. And the key for us is to be able to customize our solutions to meet those customer needs. If you had to put a dollar value to your market, what do you think it could be? 
Gosh, well, I'm very optimistic about that. I, I don't think I would like to give a number to that right now. <laughs> I would probably have to leave that to our CEO <laughs> and uh, and let them make make a prediction. But I do see strong growth, not just in the wind turbine sector, but in particular for ice wind energy solutions. With the pandemic, so many people have lost traditional jobs, the gig economy, the airline industry, they say will never come back to its mm -hmm. peak for a while. Yeah. But I feel that when one door shuts, another opens. So will new people need to get trained to, say, install your wind turbines? And you were talking about manufacturing coming stateside. Mm -hmm. So all these are positive things. So do you believe that new jobs could be created by the new technologies that you are making and the people you are working with? Yes, I absolutely do. I think with the growth of the of these industries, renewable energy industries in the United States, you will need a um, a pipeline of talent coming in. You will need mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, and also research scientists, but also installers, like you said, and, and electricians. Uh, we recently participated in a very interesting forum at uh, Duke University that had lots of engineering students that were interested in in learning you know where are the jobs of the future in renewable energy and which are the companies that are leading the way we had a lot of interesting conversations with people but i think it everyone agreed that that universities have an important role to play in bridging the gap between those future employees in other words students and companies in the industry like us and i think that's happening uh, right now and people are becoming very smart to it one other thing I just wanted to mention is I'm excited about the idea of growing the ecosystem in the United States. That means manufacturing. You know, if we have more machine shops that can build parts, if we have more labs doing 3D printing, if we have more testing facilities, this creates a strong ecosystem upon which the industry can, can grow. And the U.S. has lost manufacturing jobs over the past 20, 30 years. And in fact, we've lost some very key skills, uh, such as uh, tool and die makers, um, people who make, you know, molds and things like that. And to bring those back, I think would be tremendously useful to the growth uh, of the industry. So that's that that would be my my personal view on uh, on the state of the, the job market, if you will, for renewable energy. One of the things that pandemic has taught us is that to slow down, to take a pause, take a look at the environment, the changes that happened mm -hmm. world around, just the blue skies in Bombay, India, where I'm from, for the first time in, I don't know, maybe 30 years or 40 years. Why is there an urgency now? Mm. Do you think the pandemic has pushed forward these movements because people are like, whoa, wait a minute, even a six-month break in mm -hmm. not polluting is giving us all these benefits the wildlife was more active you could see mm -hmm. more birds and and the blue skies the oceans were cleaner the beaches were cleaner mm -hmm. yeah that's a great question I, I hadn't really thought of it that way but i i think you have a really strong point you know in my perspective I, i've been fortunate to live in uh, some nice places in the developed world where we take for granted clean air or clean water where you can drink it out of the tap and I don't mean to get on a soapbox, but you know, don't doesn't everyone deserve clean water and clean air? Why should that just be the purview, the right of Europe or the United States or Canada? Why can't it be, you know, something that all people have access to? And you know, it could be that 
all of us suffering from the same worldwide pandemic have opened our eyes a little bit to health and the environment and how we all share, you know, in a common challenge. So I, I would answer your question in that way, saying I'm hoping that this pandemic has raised awareness about the differences we have between the developed world and the developing world and the imperative that we have to try to bring some of these solutions to places like India and, and Haiti and parts of Asia where folks deal with daily pollution uh, in their lives. On this very hopeful and positive note, thank you so much, Robert, for coming on Mindful Businesses. You're welcome. It's, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you. And um, thank you so much for having me. We were talking to Robert Gerber of Icewind. You can pre-order your very own wind turbine at icewindusa.com. That is I-C-E-W-I-N-D-U-S-A.com. Thank you so much, Robert, for coming on Mindful Businesses. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed speaking with you. You're welcome. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, please send us a message on our Facebook or Instagram page. Like, share and subscribe Mindful Businesses on your favorite podcast listening app. For more information and insights about this episode, go to Mindful Businesses Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. This is Vidya Ayer for Mindful Businesses.